Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Simran. Welcome to Women Who. Women Who is a podcast of conversations with women who challenge the status quo. Hi, Simran. Hey, Kate. All right, I'm excited around this special edition of Women Who today. It is in celebration of International Women's Day. We are embracing the theme of equity. And it will be great because we do have some really thoughtful questions sent in to us from some listeners. We're very excited to get to that. But first, hot off the presses. What? Well, you know how you and I love a good survey. <laughs> you know what? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, okay. yeah. Throw me a survey. I'm gonna shut up and listen. Like, I when I okay. It's funny because then I think about it. I'm like, have I always been a survey? Yes, I've always loved a good survey, a little quiz that I used to do in my little magazines, Owl Magazine. Then I grew up into the teeny bopper ones, a little Cosmo. Love a good quiz. Okay, but this this survey that came out, there was a dramatic eye roll, and I, I worried that my eyes were going to get stuck in the back of my head. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Actually, so maybe this I'm not hit, ready, but I'm ready. <laughs> this hit the news at 11.34 a.m. on March 7th, okay? And it's titled, More Canadian Men Than Women Think Gender Inequality overhyped i mean okay, i clicked it okay. i clicked it because i thought you know is this clickbait but yeah because i'm gonna let you finish before i get riled up because i just got the headline so i'm i'm i'm, I'm maintaining some calmness right now okay well <laughs> just wait hold on to your hat okay okay a nerve a, a nerve it hit a nerve <laughs> what i'm trying to say is a new survey suggests Canadian men are almost twice as likely as women to think gender inequality is being blown way out of proportion. Oof. I know your next question to me, Simran, is going to be like, well, how big was the survey? What, one in 25 man? No. <laughs> no. The ledger pulled more than 3,000 Canadians online in October on the topic on behalf of the Association for Canadian Studies in the University of Manitoba. So that's a fairly large sample size. Yeah, that's, that's a big sample. And it found that most people believe the issue of gender inequality is important, but a significant minority believed it's overblown. More than 30% of men and 17% of women who answered the survey believe the response to gender inequality is blown out of proportion. The survey even suggested that men between 30 and 34 are the most likely age group to believe gender inequality is overhyped at 34.6% compared to 14.3% of women that age. I know, like, I, I like their, their verbiage, actually, that it's at a significant minority, because standalone, you might be like, ah, 
maybe that's not so bad. But then when I hear you read it out, 34% of that age group, which probably most likely aligns with, you know, a pretty significant number of individuals that are entering more senior level type roles for the first time in their career, as many do in their early 30s, especially and, you know, ambitions, ambitious or driven ones. That makes my skin crawl. I don't like that. I mean, on a personal note, I now know why my dating life is so horrendous, too. <laughs> That's for another episode. <laughs> but That's to your for point, other podcasts is soon to be launched. <laughs> yeah, we, we clearly need to launch an after hours. Stay tuned on that. But... um no, and, and even still, they point to Statistics Canada's findings that women earned 11.1% less than their male counterparts per hour. We're still, we're still. Still. Like, 20, it's 2023. Still. I, I mean, I do love the, the one gentleman, uh, Jack, president of the Association for Canadian Studies, who I think co-authored the survey and clearly you and mm -hmm. I, the next step is we're really going to find this survey and get into it even more. But I do love how uh, his quote was, they do, we do need to better educate Canadians on this phenomenon. And he said, not just one or two days a year when it's international women's day. So bravo, yeah. Jack couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I mean, there's progress, Ooh. but then. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a great way to kick this conversation off. <laughs> Do I, I like have it. your I attention? I, I love it. You just, you just, you just threw us right into the fire. We and like equality, equity, different things. It's not specifically the theme of this year, but it's important. And they're, you know, they're kind of balancers on the, on the same spectrum. In my opinion, it's disheartening. Unfortunately, a lot of the studies and surveys and re reports we talked about the last couple of years are disheartening because you want to believe that, you know, the group of people that you're going to work with that are part of your friend group that, you know, are your, your peers, maybe even people you look up to, maybe even your managers or individuals getting, you know, promoted before you are your allies. And what that tells you is that 34% of those people within that age group, actually, probably not so much, because if they don't believe there's a real issue, then they're probably not going to be acting in a woman's best interest at work. And that's, that sucks, because that's then gonna further inhibit the chance for equity and being treated fairly on a day to day basis. I mean, you said it so perfectly, someone like I feel like we can say like, end of episode. <laughs> But no, in, in all seriousness, sometimes the first part of fixing a problem is admitting that there's a problem. And it's alarming to see those sorts of numbers where people don't think, not only do they not think that there's a problem still, they actually yeah. think it's being overblown. Yeah, because equality has to be the basis of it. Like having equal opportunity, equal access, equal pay for the same work has to be the starting point which then becomes the leap pad for equity, for fairness, for inclusivity, for safety at work. So if you don't even believe in the basis, then there's really no chance for equity to thrive and survive. And I've, I've you know, struggled with how to communicate this concept of equity over the years in a way that like helps 
any person sort of wrap their head around it. Um, and I, I always just go back to, you know, this sense of fairness, this sense of space, because I just feel like those are the easiest ways for like me to describe what, what resonates with me when I talk about equity. Um, it's, it's not feeling like I'm in a constant battle for attention, for energy, for effort, for resources that I deserve, no matter my gender identity, right? And no matter my place. And that's often not, you know, the experience that women self-report um, and that other, you know, peers report on the behalf of how they see women treated in the workplace. What's what's your take? Like when you think of equity at work, like what comes to mind for you? No, I love that because I I was just thinking, I was like, how can we maybe some somewhat impart some wisdom here and educate uh, some of the really great allies that listen in? And I, I think to your point, for me, it's very similar to how you just articulated it. And it all mm-hmm. has to do around space, right? I've, I've said this to you before. I continually think my biggest role now in meetings is to create the space for the other women who were sitting at the table with me to be able to impart their wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that is saying in certain situations, hey, Simran, I think you had something fantastic to add to this point. Or it's ensuring that sometimes there's a lot of interrupting that goes on. Mm -hmm. And again, I have absolutely no problem in, in my role being excuse me, so-and-so, love the energy. I actually think Simran here wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's let her finish. Um, and so to me, it's, it's those sorts of, and those are like very tiny. Those are like micro, very specific examples. But I think those are ones in which my hope is that I can give and help build the confidence of those women so that if they are in a situation and they are in a room where maybe I'm not there, Mm -hmm. they help each other out or they feel more confident to speak up. Mm -hmm. And I think when I think of that, like my reaction is that's really one of the ways in which you can help create inclusivity. And I think like, we can say inclusivity is actually a tenant or a pillar of equity. And part of that is, you know, creating spaces where people not only can feel safe, but also a sense of belonging. And more and more, this has become important, even in professional environments where, you know, we, we see our own peers and, and friends of other organizations comment on, their level of dissatisfaction or disengagement because of a lack of, you know, feeling like they belong. And that can be really hard to sort of pinpoint and describe, like, how do you, how does one actually create that? How does an organization create that? And yet it is so critical to have that sense of belonging and safety in order to then say we have created an equitable organization, you know, where we're in particular in this conversation, women can not just, you know, survive and do well, but thrive, excel, 
and feel like they can show up as we often say as like their whole self or their best self. And I always get challenged when we talk about inclusivity as well, because it's starting to feel very tokenized. It's like, oh, we need to be inclusive. Here's like the 17 things we do to be inclusive. And it's like, yes, that's great. But there's also this intangible piece of it. It's like, do people actually feel that? Because there has to be sort of this transition between the things you do and how people feel. And I think that's the hard part around describing it and explaining it. And I think it's also the hard part around, you know, getting naysayers to believe that this is real. Because if you've never been challenged, if your equality and equity and sense of purpose and success has never been challenged, then it's really hard to, you know, put yourself in someone's shoes who wakes up every day and doesn't have that sense of self at work. It's so true. I think that's the, that's the most difficult thing because I know even like conversations with my like brother and my father, mm-hmm. even just around like safety and the ways in which I approach walking into an underground parking garage and the way my brother does are two very fundamentally different, right? Like he's never experienced what it's like to live a life in in my body mm-hmm. and so though those sorts of like thoughts around physical safety have i mean fortunately very rarely ever have to cross his mind mm-hmm. and so I, I think to your i mean that's a it's a very like different and drastic example but it's sometimes the the easiest one i can give for why in different situations people just don't naturally act certain ways and why to your point it is so important in building inclusive teams and environments and safe spaces where then you just you sort of learn too by being in certain environments right Mm -hmm. well that's the hope yeah that's the hope and we keep hoping i think the more when i think about you know how You've given already a few examples around how people, especially leaders, can show up. A lot of it for me starts with some reflection. Like when I when I can take a step back, and I try to do it semi-regularly, but even I'm guilty of not doing it all the time. Um, when I can take a step back and reflect on how has work been going lately? You know, what am I sensing and perceiving? You know, from the people that I work with on a frequent basis. Who, you know, in theory, you should. You probably know a little better than people you work with less frequently. Do I feel like I'm showing up in a way that lets them, you know, take the spotlight that lets that lets them, you know, showcase their skills or the opposite, which is just like a, I think it's a really healthy place to get a better sense of self, but also get a better sense of like, what are you doing on a daily basis that could be potentially hindering or, or promoting? this again, this inclusivity, this sense of belonging. A really like specific example of this is like in all of your conversations with your colleagues or direct reports, do you only talk about the tasks and the jobs to be done? Or do you have more like global conversations about their headspace, what's motivating them, what's demotivating them, challenges and issues that you're having? Do you ask those specific questions that can move these conversations from being uncomfortable to being normal? right? To being expected in a healthy way. And like, that's a really interesting and I think healthy place 
to start from if you're if you're not knowing how or if you're just you know still still struggling with getting people on your team to open up you yeah asking the pointed question but doing it in a forum in a way that you know that they'll feel safe to respond is important you know some people need time to sit and reflect and get back to you other people are like i need to talk about this right now otherwise i'm going to explode and other people are like i need to write out my thoughts as leaders we need to be flexible and reactive to how an individual wants to work and function specifically when we're you know we're talking about a marginalized group when we're talking about women at work that have been the victim of inequitable systems for a very long time and i mean like spoiler alert because i'm about to drop another one of our favorite studies which leads perfectly into this but like it's not improving mm-hmm. for women like here here it is simran our our favorite McKinsey Women in the Workplace study, so this is the 2022 one, which was released in the fall, found only one in 10 women wants to work mostly on site and many more women point to remote and hybrid work options as one of their top reasons for joining or staying with an organization. Knowing that work travel is picking up and hybrid or remote work can sometimes lead to an always available approach the question that came into us was, what are you doing to prevent burnout and balance life and work responsibilities, right? Because I think you, to your point, there is this sort of always available. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you're doing? I mean, I know there's some things that I did not do well the first time. We talked about this recently too, when Jen and Lauren were on, um, and they, they were talking about, we all talked about moments where like we call them, I think we're being nice to ourselves and saying, you know, we slipped up, but we were in the moments we were very hard on ourselves because we, we let those boundaries slide. And then we don't always realize in the moment, the rolling effect that has on the people around us. So, yeah, I think one of the things around travel and work and just these, you know, bleeding responsibilities is that we start to lose our boundaries. And, you know, we've all talked about slipping up in the past or, you know, sometimes, you know, you're willing to make a concession here or there, you know, extraneous circumstances. But when that becomes the day to day, actually, it has a pretty big impact on, you know, an equitable work environment. When historically, we know women carry more responsibilities at work when it comes to, you know, DI people management and just, you know, representing causes because they raise their hand and want to participate, but they're also carrying additional workloads at home compared to male counterparts. And there's a lot of data that represents that. And so when you take that and then you layer in all of them, these other expectations and potentially just this feeling that you need to be always on because that might be then the standard that gets set by male colleagues with arguably fewer of these types of obligations, it's just, it starts to create this snowball effect. And the thing that I've hinged on the most is trying to create that healthy separation between work life and, and, you know, instilling boundaries. But I got to admit the last year has been really tough as you know, my work has changed and there's a greater requirement. And I knew this going in, but it's still been challenging as I've worked across multiple time zones it, it means I often don't work a typical quote unquote day. And I do have to think about, even if I'm on and working in a different time zone, not letting that sort of then bleed into my teammates 
that are already done for the day and expecting them to be available and working and not sending emails. And it, it just creates this additional mental load, which I'm not sure I've fully figured out, you know, how to manage, to be honest with you. And I do often find that there are leaders that don't do a great job at setting a great example. And, you know, generally, I, I think that we need to be more equitable in how we demonstrate to our peers and all of our people more junior to us around saying no and setting a boundary and making sure it's okay. Because we say it, we verbalize that the boundary setting is okay, but then the expectation doesn't change. So how can these two things coexist? Like that's a great example of I think where inequity plays a big role. Because if you're going to say to me that I can set a boundary and it's okay to walk away, say no, et cetera, then the expectation is still to be able to deliver the work. Well, I'm like, these two things don't go together. Like there's like a clear tension, right? I don't know what, Kate, what you've, what you've encountered, especially with a role like yours where anything can drop at any moment from a comms and PR perspective by its very nature, it's sort of on demand. And that can be very challenging to kind of set a boundary and also be very clear about what you need to feel safe in your day-to-day work, psychologically safe in your day-to-day work. Yeah. I mean, I think I haven't, to your that final point, I think I haven't fully realized the toll that it does take on some of the communications we've had to write over the past couple of years, right? Like, mm-hmm with a pandemic, to the social injustices, to a war, there has been like a lot that myself and, and other colleagues have had to sort of like work through and, and figure out a way to communicate to our people. And so, yeah, I think to your point, the key thing that I've learned from all of this, which I now actually think makes me a better, more empathetic manager myself is almost what you said from the very beginning. And it's the start of those conversations that I have with my team or teammates. And it's that just like checking in and it's that giving space, because I think the other thing that really crazy happened uh, when we, when we went into this fully remote at first was the back to back to back meetings. Yeah. Right. And you just, you got right into it. You got right into the work and you weren't really checking in with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think the checking in and then the, the leading with example and being brave to be honest with everyone, like guys, I am having a rough day. It was a rough Mm -hmm. weekend. And sometimes I would share with them what had happened over the weekend and uh, just said like, you're going to have to like go easy on me this week. I mm-hmm. might ask you the same question a couple times, just not working on a lot of sleep. It's not my, my typical, it's an off week, right? Yeah. Or it's an off day. And I think that allowed the teammates to then pipe up and say like, hey, I'm, ha- I'm having an off day. And, and in turn, someone to your point around like emailing, like that fundamentally changed the way that I emailed mm-hmm. because I was a Sunday morning, let's figure out my work week person. Mm. And that sometimes meant sending emails. And sure, I thought I was being like nice and being like, don't read this till Monday. But what I was forgetting was that that was loading up someone else's inbox for Monday morning. And how shitty is that of a feeling 
to wake up on Monday morning, open your email and see all of that. That's mm-hmm. anxiety inducing. Yep. Right. And so now I've, I've taken that step back. I, I don't do anything on Sundays. If it's not urgent, critical to the business, and sure, there's been some emergencies that pop up, but I now do that on Monday mornings. And it's more just like me checking in with myself. Okay, what do you have going on this week? Do I know of any things coming down the pipe to your point that might sort of like throw a big curveball in? I look at Mm -hmm. the meetings and then I wait until my like morning scrums with my team to check in on them to then determine, all right, what's your priorities? These are my priorities. Who can we like lift and shift to? And then Mm -hmm. those emails come out. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, I actually think I'm more productive and I think my teams are way more productive. I mean, you get you get an opportunity to sort of settle into the week that way. And that I think is is so much more important in my opinion when we're working virtually because there isn't that sort of, you know, walk into the office, not as much at least for many groups. This isn't, you know, a statement that applies to everyone, but there isn't as much happening as used to happen of that, you know, First thing, Monday morning, you know, re-socialization, grab the cup, do, you know, your your chit-chats with half a dozen people. Then you finally sit down at your desk, you settle in, you get into your emails. Like, there was a better warm-up, I think, that used to exist when we were consistently going into the office. And I admittedly, I miss that. And what that kind of is also a segue into is, like, the way that we build relationships now has also evolved. So, not only are you setting a great example when you're, you're doing that, but you're also giving, you know, space to continue to build and foster relationships with your teammates, which I think we're, we're really losing, you know, the, the, the softer side of that aspect of organizational culture, which has, you know, a, a, actually, I think a more significant impact on equity than people realize. Because what's, what's been demonstrated is that when you lose those, you know, opportunities to have like the casual chat, you know, the bump in, the check in, the running into someone in the hallway, quote unquote, women tend to lose out more long term on advancement opportunities because they're, they're, the organizations are not creating other alternative spaces for those connections to happen that feel natural, that don't feel forced. And advancement is a big part of of the equity conversation as well. And are we giving those opportunities, not just for, you know, networking on mass, but those one-to-one connections where we're allowing women to interact with senior leaders, with executives to learn from them, and or just to have the opportunity to have a conversation that doesn't have a specific, you know, task intention or work intention. And I, I I really like I know we've we talk about this corporately and I don't think anyone's really figured it out well in the whole work from home hybrid world. I'm like what can replace that? Because if if there aren't events, you know, if there aren't opportunities for us to gather, um if there aren't specific, you know, time and places carved out for these interactions to happen, then you would never, quite honestly, never interact with people that are outside of your team. And that I feel like is really limiting in the in in the equity conversation, because I think it's hard to replace. And then by virtue of you know what what used to be like the token golf experience, right? You you, you learn how to golf, 
<laughs> it really is. Just, it, I think it's still true in a lot of industries, a lot of places. You know, that's your way into you know schmooze and you know rub shoulders with the execs and build relationship. That was a large way in which you know the world operated. That opened up advancement opportunities. And that sort of transformed pre-pandemic into different forms and modes. And now I'm like, it feels more often like it's either you're just isolated to your team or there's a one-way conversation and leaderships are talking to you about what they've heard. And not to say that that is invaluable, but it does feel like there's a pretty big chasm right now. Um, And no one just wants to interact with a job board, you know, when they're thinking about what's next for them. If if anything, and I think what we've seen from, you know, other reports and our own lived experience, you and I, is, you know, women in particular want to make sure that if they're going to change jobs or change companies, that they're going to be working for people that understand the systemic challenges they face. That's a big part of embracing equity. Like when we're talking about how to create opportunities at leaders with with future leaders, rather, we need to be talking about how we're creating opportunities for them to interact with other people that they're not going to casually get the chance to anymore because they're working from home or in a hybrid environment. So I, I don't I don't have the solve for it. I'm going to task all the smart people that listen to this podcast to take this as an action item. Help us figure it out because I really think it's a big part that's not getting talked about enough or that we're not solutioning against enough. You're so right. Like I've I've almost forgotten that like now in this sort of remote hybrid world you you don't even know what meetings you're not invited into that's a good point (laughs) right like because in the office you would see certain people like walking into a meeting and you would be like oh I wonder what that's about and then you might sometimes like ask your peers afterwards and then if you like heard of you're like oh I'd love to like lean in on that they're like oh really like come again because again I I do love to assume that nothing is done maliciously it's just done because they didn't like they didn't see you or they didn't know Mm -hmm. but even more so now if you don't know that it's going on and they don't know that you want to lean in that way. Yeah. And I think like, so an action that, that I've taken that I, I hope pays off. It is something that I'm trying that I haven't done before is as part of like the goal setting we've done for the team this year, we've, I've, you know, carved out time to have conversation around, you know, their profile and personal ambition which is a different, which is different than what do you want to do next? I've started to shift it to what do you want to be known for that isn't specifically your job and the skills that you have? And it's actually a tougher question to answer than a lot of people think. But what it, what it helps, what conversation I think it helps to have is it helps to reframe what progress and advancement looks like for that individual. And then it also gives me a chance to really listen and think about who could I connect them with that they would never, you know, really have the opportunity to connect with simply because, you know, their day-to-day work doesn't open that door. And that gives me something like tactical as a leader that I can then go do to create, you know, that level of advancement to say, okay, we're going to, we're actually going to create the list. We're going to do these introductions, you're going to meet these people, I'm going to set it up so that you have that opportunity. And then that's going to give them the chance to hear from other experiences, you know, and to hear about other ways that they can think about long term where they might want their their career to advance, whether it's at 
the same organization or another one because that's not really the purpose, right? The purpose is to say, how do we level, as is all the typical phrase, how do we level the playing field for our people that are already marginalized? You know, part of what we have to do is we have to be more pointed with the questions that we ask, you know, our teammates and our direct reports. And then we have to create really specific action plans and say, here, here's the literal six things we're going to do to get you from here to there. And it's okay if we don't have a defined end destination. We need to get more comfortable with not knowing that this person wants to be in this role because the linear way of advancing doesn't really exist anymore. Or doesn't it doesn't have to exist that way is maybe a better way of phrasing it. Yeah, which is exciting. But then to your point, like so scary too, because it's mm-hmm. it's more difficult to figure out and then sometimes navigate. I really love what you do there. I think I'm totally going to, to I'm stealing that, Simran. Please, please steal it. Please steal it. I will it's totally nice credit little, you. It's a great. It's been a nice little revelation. I mean, I, I'm gonna, I started by doing it for myself and thinking, because we've been, you and I have been very, sorry, I think, honest and vulnerable about, for the, I think for the first time and maybe a very long time, not really having a ton of clarity. And I needed to sort of reframe it and say, okay, I need to stop thinking about what job is next. And that's when I came across this, like, what do I want to be known for that actually isn't my job to sort of divorce that from my identity? And I've, and I've asked this to, you know, many other people that have either just sought advice or actually, you know, are part of my team and say, I'm going to really challenge you. And you don't, you don't need to have an answer right now. Take a day, take a week, take a month, take as much time as you want, and then let's come back together and have a conversation about what that looks like. And it really forces us to think differently because more often than not, we're only really tasked to think about our careers from one job to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I actually don't think that's the best frame. I don't know if this approach is going to be you know, amazing, but I think it's a, yeah, I guess a healthy thought exercise. Because then I think it starts to open up what can be the things that we work on together, you know, to help you arrive at that. And if it so ends up in a place that, you know, that person doesn't want to, you know, work on this team anymore or at this organization or whatever it might be, but they find something that's going to be even more fulfilling for them. Amazing. Yeah. That, that's, that is also a part of the way we create progress and advancement, which is a part of equity at work. Just, just you know, just throwing some stuff out there, Kate. Giving a few things a try this year that I've never done before. <laughs> I adore my con- these conversations with you. I know people are like, <laughs> I know that we do this for the podcast, but like, quite honestly, we have these conversations with each other. Like, I think this is why the podcast to us is so much fun because this yeah. would be a conversation you and I have over a couple cocktails. Yep, we and we, and we have done it, and we have done and it, have, but and we have done it. But I, and I also just think that it's like the way that like we can push ourselves as leaders to, you know, try different frameworks, try different. It's not even, this is not, it's not complicated. I'm just, I'm asking different questions, seeing if I can get different responses from people on my, that I know that are feeling stuck, unsure, marginalized, whatever it might be. Because honestly, if I, if I can, again, set that example, and it's not in the, the example I'm setting is not that I know the answer. The, the, honestly, the only example I'm setting is by saying, let's try some different things. I'm going to push you. You're going to push me. 
And that's the type of leadership you want long-term at your company. The people that are marginalized in this conversation, women that feel like they're in an equitable system are not going to stay at your organization if they're not working with leaders that create the safety that allows them to be challenged in that way. And it's a rolling effect. And that it has to it, it has to start there because it's still true that people are going to leave toxic toxic environments. They're going to leave toxic people first, and they should. And we've always advocated for that on women who a thousand percent. So here's to embracing equity in 2020. You and I've been doing it our whole lives, Kate. Our whole entire lives. We're gonna keep doing it. Yep. Well, thank you for this. I love our special editions. What a great special edition. Happy International Women's Day, everyone. And this to yeah. and we mean it to everyone. We'll hope you take some time this day, this month, reflect. Think about how you can show up better as a leader for yourself, for the people on your team, the people you work with, any women in your life. It all matters. It does. Cheers. Cheers to you. To us. <laughs> Thanks, Emery. Thank you. Women Who is produced by Dentsu International and available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Women Who, and that's spelled at W-O-M-X-N underscore W-H-O. 